Welcome back to the Talking Hedges eight-part cannabis business plan. We go through A to Z on how to start a cannabis business plan. First, we talked about the team and how to set that up. We talked then about target market demographics. The third session, we talked about sales and price, and when and, and where to sell. Number four was uh, investing about if, if you're going to issue convertible note, stock, or debt. Number five was all about a pitch deck and how to put in the ask slide, what the use of funds were. Now we're going to talk about automation and scaling and expanding. You don't have first mover advantages, so you really can't put eight people on a pre-roll machine and expect to get very far uh, at this point in time. So we're going to talk a, a little bit about after you've made your pitch deck and you've got some funding, you figure it out to your team and who you're going to sell to and what the prices are and where you're going to sell. Now's the time to kind of get your financial house in order through mechanization, through automation, and really kind of try to reallocate your human capital to be as efficient as possible. All of that coming up. It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Agricultural labor is still inexpensive, so I probably wouldn't try to automate that yet. But basically, every other aspect of automation is, especially uh, at the production level. So growing still inexpensive. Uh, retail, you know, there's there's other um, tools for that. We're gonna pretty much kind of focus on on the processing side to that. Um, when you can have harvesting or or picking weed controls, there's automation for mowing or you know, pruning, seeding, spraying, phenotyping, sorting, packing, drones, uh, you know, data collection, everything, labor, warehousing, there's mechanization being the key driver for efficiency available at all facets within uh, the cannabis supply chain. There's a misconception that mechanization will displace farm laborers or encourage some migration uh, out of the rural areas when in fact, uh, we can see that it can improve a lot of opportunities. When you look at the buggy and, and how the car was supposed to disrupt everything, it's not always the case. Like I mentioned, I try to go in and look at an operation that has you know, as many as 18 people in a pre-roll machine and take that down to one person with the machine and reallocate the rest of those 17 people to be regional salespeople or to promote them in other uh, forms as that business matures and grows. The disadvantages are pretty obvious. It's a high cost of capital initially. There's some maintenance costs, but the benefits are worth it. You can work you know, three shifts and do 24 hours a day and has plenty of other benefits. Right now, there's a lot of disruptions in the supply chain. There's issues with you know, great resignation and people leaving their jobs and turnover in the industry has been an issue from the very start for the last 10 years. So nothing different there. But there's consumer benefits. This this goes all the way down to the bottom. So if you're able to have a uh, an automation system where you can then focus on something that consumers maybe want, sustainably produced products, maybe a shift towards organic uh, production, that automated technology maybe could help you to reach consumers faster with fresher, more sustainable products that people would want to try out that maybe you wouldn't be able to otherwise get to without that kind of mechanization. As a result, hopefully you can reduce your labor efficiencies and pass that on to 
the consumer and lower the cost. We're going to have to reduce the cost because pounds of cannabis can't be as high as they are. If you look at tobacco, a pound of tobacco is $18. Cannabis will come down a lot from where it's at now, and it'll be through these uh, mechanized uh, solutions. So in the end, the lower labor cost is going to be handed down to the consumer at a lower cost and increase volume, but revenues will decrease. So you have to just figure out how to scale. There'll always be a spot for small growers. Uh, The feel good aspect of that, they can reduce their carbon footprint, uh, site specific applications where you can have pesticide and fertilizers and reduce greenhouse gas emissions and just have that local flavor that's there's definitely a spot for that but if you're going to be a regional player or a national player this is essential like i mentioned all facets of the industry are going to be using technology including cultivators they'll use the technology to automate to help achieve efficiencies and cut costs keep workers safe during uh, any kind of issues and economic downturns growers are going to have technology and automation that'll include automated irrigation and fertilization hvac systems uh, robots to play, to to put in clones uh, or cultivation trays. You'll have machines to fill pre-rolls uh, and lab mediation, so microbial. Uh, it'll be important also for visual. Uh, there'll be cameras to look at leaves that are tacoing and decide whether or not that's an environmental issue or a soil deficiency. And so very important for scaling up. And you need to look at joint rollers, uh, cone filling machines, blunt rolling machines um, that are also tied to packaging and uh, all-in-one systems. So something that's going to be able to keep the room cleaner. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do that on, on the safer side, like hypochlorous acid, uh, using Briotech, HOCL as a tool for keeping people clean when they go in and out of rooms as a, a safer alternative that will kind of just destroy everything if it's the right hypochlorous acid. Um, Briotech um, is a, a company that I would recommend for that. Indoor cannabis cultivation has always been intimately bound to technology. So when you're looking at uh, Aurora Sky Farm in Alberta, for example, they reached a near science level of sophistication. They have an 800,000 square foot hybrid greenhouse with robotic arms to hoist massive pallets on plants and cranes and conveyor belts. And uh, they spent a lot of money. You don't have to necessarily do that. For growers, the most urgent technology needs to be a compelling cost-saving opportunity with harvest that related. So despite a lot of the mechanized seed to bud efficiencies, the post-grow clipping and trimming of leaves and stems is largely done by hand, as we mentioned, the most cost-effective way to do it. Ideally, growers wouldn't have any human involvement in the post-production because of high risk of contamination. If farms could do it, Uh, They'd completely automate that post-harvest phase and reassign employees to inspection duties, but most can't, not yet anyways. In the modern cannabis production, the biggest motivator for technological innovation is not necessarily secrecy, it's profitability. Now we're looking at innovation in horticulture and technology that was dedicated most exclusively to operational efficiencies, but looking specifically at automation and cultivation, you're seeing commercial growers using computers and robots and machines, and more to increase profitability on several fronts. Drop shipping could be huge too with national opportunities if there is interstate commerce. Drop shipping simply is a spot where you can have a product or place 
And when there's a sale, it gets there a lot faster. Think about like Amazon warehouses and where they're at. It's kind of essentially drop shipping. And that's how it gets to you a lot faster. You have to produce a lot more and have it available. But when the orders come, it gets there a lot quicker. That'll be a thing once uh, e-commerce and, and cross-border interstate commerce is allowed, drop shipping will happen and that'll open up a lot more doors for brands to get to people a lot quicker. Opportunities for additional revenue could also be for private labeling. So the initial investment could be high. However, if you are willing to private label for somebody else, whether that's in-house or if you have a mobile processing facility for pre-rolls, for example, being creative in how you're able to get additional revenue could help to make the payments on the machine and or reduce your initial costs and overhead. Something to think about for private labeling other brands and generating additional revenue. You won't want to miss the next episode when we talk about the island of opportunity being Puerto Rico. It's going to be a place that you might want to take a look at for manufacturing, uh, at least uh, if you're targeting the U.S. There's reasons for that. You're just going to have to watch the video. So I was alluding to smart farming, using artificial intelligence, machine learning, video cameras, any kind of technology that's going to be available is going to come at a cost. But there are many benefits that are going to be worth it. And like I mentioned, the lack of first mover advantages you have is going to require technology like this. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is grab this technology, increase the quantity or quality, and optimize the operations. So among those technologies right now, we're already seeing people that have sensors for soil, water, light, humidity, temperature, everything. The software that can alert you on your phone or send an alert uh, to your desktop and basically say, I, you know, the, the leaf is tacoing. Do you want me to look at environmental factors and or the soil composition? And you can say yes or no, and then it'll uh, make that solution for you. I don't know of any systems that that are available yet. I've had one. It was really clunky. Actually, one of the reasons I got into the cannabis industry a long time ago was for automation uh, using a system that's not very good called Grotronics. Looks great. Doesn't work um, as, as uh, when I got it. Using a greenhouse, traditionally, those would be controlled by environmental parameters through manual intervention or controlled mechanisms that can result in some production loss or energy loss, increased labor costs. The internet of things are driving smart greenhouses that can intelligently monitor as well as control the climate. It can eliminate the need for manual intervention. There's various sensors that you could deploy to measure that, those environmental parameters using the specific requirements of each crop. So that data can be stored in a cloud-based platform. And then that the processors can then see that and control it with minimal manual intervention. Drones, as I mentioned, they can be incorporated ground-based and aerial for crop health ass assessments or irrigation, crop monitoring or spraying, planting soil, field analysis. But it doesn't have to be large-scale. I mentioned it's going to be used by large-scale, but it doesn't have to target only large-scale farming operations. It can be a value-add to emerging trends in agriculture like organic farming or family farming. You preserve particular cultivars that you like or enhance transparent farming to consumers. There's a lot of different ways to, to make this work. Some of these machines won't be around long-term. If you've seen the rocket box, it's plastic. That won't be around their grinder that they made. Is like a weed whacker that won't be around because it's made out of plastic and you can't, there's, there's zero tolerance for that. So it all has to be stainless steel and, and uh, abide by certain regulations. And a lot of the cannabis industry 
didn't do that initially. Machines that are coming out now, the four or $500,000 machines, definitely made by engineers who understand the game. The ones who did it early on, who focused on a fad, a fad being a cone, whether you like it or not, doesn't really matter. Cones are not the ideal draw. They're not the ideal experience. And if it's not an ideal experience, people won't come back for it. They come back now because it's convenient and cheap, but when there's a better alternative that's coming out, that's when people will switch. So there's, um, you know, desktop versions that make cylindrical joints. There's big machines that make cylindrical joints. There's uh, blunts are going to be popular too, you know, cigars. But these cones, I don't think pre-rolls are going to be around forever. They're a novelty. They've they've been around long enough. Uh, but I think we're going to see the ideal experience in cylindrical joints come through and you'll see them in very expensive machines because the plastic ones a they don't work very well and b uh, they're going to be regulated out of existence more and more of the machines are coming with additional features there will be a built-in grinder there will be a packaging machine there will be a labeling machine and all of those will be incorporated eventually but right now they're just trying to focus on one thing at a time and that's trying to make a, a decent pre-roll majority of them are pre-rolls uh, and they still, even with the tamper, they don't um, necessarily smoke very well. Uh, they can clog or there's too, not enough tamping at the base. Just put too many issues with cones. And it's even the best cone isn't going to be a better experience. Uh, the, the ideal draw as a cylindrical joint. I mentioned joints because they're popular, everybody likes them, but whether it's uh, a vape pen or edibles, there's automation and solutions for any aspect of what you're doing. I don't think you can necessarily automate gummies as much, but you can buy huge vats and increase with quantities and economies of scale. So although um, maybe the bigger impact is, is a pre-roll, there are opportunities to increase economies of scale, reduce costs, and uh, again, improve your overall operational efficiency. There aren't a lot of machines that can infuse a pre-roll. There's not a lot of machines that can fill a vape pen at scale yet, but there are smaller ones that'll do, you know, maybe a hundred at a time. And so you just have to buy multiple, I guess, until... Uh, somebody comes up with that, but there is aspects of, of every solution available. You want to check that depending on um, where you're targeting. Uh, my thought process is that the uh, grow side, you have enough on the agricultural labor for that. When you're processing, whether it's vape pens or CO2 or pre-rolls, that's when the automation is necessary. You have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in order to get the type of machine you want. If you're going to process CO2 or pre-rolls, got to automate it. I have several automation videos. I'll put a link in the description for the automated videos I have. There's a few in there. Many of them do talk about pre-rolls and we, we talk about uh, different aspects as well. Uh, but again, you want to take a look at all of what your options are. It's interesting looking back just five years ago and how there was one or two machines. And now I, I turn my back and there's four more, but they're all copying one another. Hopefully they'll be unique or, or thoughtful enough to come up with some new stuff. Like I mentioned, you are seeing more companies uh, adding to the, the tasks. 
like labeling machines, packaging machines, and that's helpful. Grinders, although a lot of these are pulverizing it so they can get it in there. And so turning it to dust doesn't make it a better product. And that's part of the draw. The ideal draw is based on the grind. The grind is important. So Pulverset 19 is a great grinder, but it's $30,000 and it doesn't pull it. You can set it to pulverize it, but I wouldn't recommend that. On the growth side, artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics is there. It's helpful. It's something you should be using to send you alerts when things go wrong. Not if, but when. So temperature's too high or the water is low or it's too cold. Whatever the issue is, you want to have something that's going to automate you at any time of day. That's going to keep your operations going. That's going to keep everything smooth and running and as uh, as efficient as possible without having to throw extra money or having something break down. You want to have some redundancies, but you don't necessarily need to buy multiple machines to do that if you have the proper maintenance schedules and standard operating procedures involved. That's just as equally as important as the machines themselves so that somebody can step in and operate those machines without being trained. You want to have everything kind of in line and prepared for that scenario for when things go wrong. Concentrates are only about 10% of the market, to my surprise. I would have thought that they would be a lot more popular, but machines are definitely expensive, two, $300,000 for CO2, uh, whatever you're using, um, butane, propane, CO2, doesn't really matter. I would always include uh, a solventless option. I've mentioned that there's regulatory risk if you don't. You could see that in Oregon and many other states where they pulled those products until they could regulate it. And if there's anything that happens in the news, motels exploding because people are using butane or, or whatever the issue is, you always want to have a backup and do solventless. And that perceived healthy alternative is why people in Vancouver, BC are buying it to the tune of 400% increase year over year. You want to have uh, additional products. Beverages are interesting because it's really expensive. One of the lowest margins and most expensive things you can do, and yet everybody wants to have you know, CBD water. If you look at the big boys and how Pepsi and Coca-Cola do it, they have regional bottling facilities. You can do that with CBD. You just can't do that with THC. In fact, you can't even do CBD on the West Coast. Washington State, California don't allow to have uh, CBD beverages for some reason. I'm guessing that had to do with lobbyists is my guess. Uh, and so it's popular, but it's also really, really expensive. So if you're taking a hundred dollars and a hundred milligrams for $15, you're going to be, have somebody buy that maybe once a week, yeah, all those Starbucks, $7 coffee, you have people buying that every single day. Beverages get a lot of headlines, but it is very expensive to operate with very small margins. So it's, it's a volume thing and you need to have automation in order to have that volume work out. Flour is only 40% of the market. So when you have 60% taking everything else, it still has to come from somewhere. The Yakima Valley here in Washington state is what supplies the entire nation, if not world with the majority of hops for beer. So you don't necessarily, in a, in a world of legalization, you don't necessarily need to have a seed to sale. You don't need to be vertically integrated. You can get your ingredients from somewhere and process it, whether that's 
locally, nationally, internationally, this is going to open up and it's going to be a consumer product good, just like everything else, an ingredient to turn into something. So if it's going to be water-soluble isolate powder or a drink or something else, think about this as any other industry where eventually it's just going to be an ingredient. Distribution is going to be huge. There's marketplaces we already talked about in the uh, investment section. If you grow it, they will not come. You're going to need a massive marketing budget to advertise as well as distribution. So you think you're going to get into CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aids, and then people will just buy it. It doesn't happen. Brand recognition and the trust factor needs to be there. That costs money. Uh, but distribution is still really huge to still try and get it in as many locations and states as possible. Consistency is really hard in this industry. When I go out to a, a retail shop and I want to pick up uh, a Panacea blunt stick, three and a half grams for $18, I can't. Why? I don't know. I'm guessing something happened with their farm and they weren't able to supply it. Same with a lot of legacy strains. Do you remember White Widow or what, what about Blue Dream? That was really popular and then it just kind of became this, this monster but there's Acapulco Gold or all these old classical strains that could be brought back and, and done something with um, as, a, as an option or alternative. Essentially, you're going to want to use technology, whether it's to automate or just for uh, smart data collection. You want to be able to better control your internal processes or have waste reduction, increasing your revenues, re reducing inefficiencies. Remote monitoring is important too with a lot of work from home. If you're able to do that, there's um, a better cost effective management, improving business efficiencies, the list goes on, increased production and so on. Consumer demand for cannabis products is going well beyond cannabis flower. There's high demand for ready to consume products containing THC or CBD, CBG, CBL, all of these cannabinoids or a combination. At small scales, companies can perform to manually operate machines or extraction, but the process is a lot more complicated when you want to create batches or large enough to meet a demand or just try to have economies of scale and reduce your expenses. This might be called the third green revolution. The smart farming is a real potential to drive a more productive and sustainable form of agricultural production based on a more precise and resource efficient approach. And this will be from start to finish, cutting, drying, bud removal, trimming, shaping, controlled storage, weighing, packaging, THC extraction, chemical and potency analysis, everything from, from A to Z. Cannabis may be at the early stage of farm automation technology, but that's going to transform the entire industry. Whether it's indoor or outdoor cannabis cultivation, that technology is going to offer a fruitful exchange of energies that lead to creativity and innovation. So looking into the future, it's going to be exciting to see what innovations come next for the cannabis space. Don't forget to catch part seven about Puerto Rico, the island of opportunity, the best place in the world to do business from if you're focused on hemp or cannabis in the United States. Puerto Rico is definitely worth listening to. Don't forget to watch that and all of the eight part cannabis business plan series from the Talking Hedge. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. 
I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.